are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Matthew and chapter 16, Matthew 16, and I'm glad for the opportunity of being with you all again today. Uh, I want to speak to you today on an unchanging church in a changing world. An unchanging church in a changing world. And I'd like to use as a text of scripture, verse number 17 and 18 in John chapter number 16. I, I brought uh, eight messages to our people at Tabernacle, uh, the first eight Sundays in January of this year on the church. And uh, I've been preaching a good deal as a result of stirring up my own mind of our way of remembrance. I've been speaking a good deal on the church in my three-night meetings so far this year, and also I brought several other messages at the Tabernacle on the church, and I plan to bring this one that I haven't had yet the opportunity to bring in the Tabernacle. Uh, we can't give too much emphasis on the church and the importance of the uh, local church. Now, I'm aware of the fact that I'm not now in uh, a local church assembly in the sense that we think of a local church, uh, but uh, we are the body, we're the born-again body of our Lord, and, and Brother uh, Sammy is a pastor. That's one reason I appreciate him so much. I'm a little bit afraid of any kind of religious movement that divorces itself from the local church. I'm a little afraid of it. I, there was a time when I would not say that, but I, I'm a little afraid of it now. And, and the older I get, the more I feel that uh, work ought to be tied in with the local church. And uh, Brother Allen, of course, does that, and I appreciate it because uh, he is a pastor and believes in the uh, local church. I mean by that that I would not, I could not conscientiously support Youth for Christ because it's not related to the church, except on a casual basis. I could not support Campus Crusade because it's not related to the church. And uh, the older I get, the more I see that it's ought to be related to the church. And I, I believe the church is the one unit. The one unit, and I'm not talking about Baptist necessarily, I'm not talking about any denomination necessarily, but I'm talking about the local assembly of born-again baptized believers uh, is the one unit that God placed in the earth. You know, the Lord did not, the Lord didn't build uh, denominations, they're all man-made, all of them. And all the fellowships are man-made, you see. Uh, in the New Testament there is no denomination, but in the New Testament there are local churches, there is the local church. And then there are local churches in the uh, New Testament. Now, you might argue about whether it was a Baptist church or what it might have been. I certainly don't think it was Roman Catholic. Not by any means. Uh, has it ever occurred to you that there are no priests in the New Testament? Roman Catholics have a hard time uh, measuring their church by the standards of the New Testament. Uh, they bog down right at that point because there are no priests uh, in the New Testament church. Uh, only pastors and elders and bishops, you see, in the, uh, the bishop is a pastor in all practical purposes. And so the Catholics have a hard time convincing me that the New Testament church was Roman Catholic. Not that at all. I'd rather believe that it was Baptistic. It might not have been called a Baptist church, but I'm certain that it was Baptistic. It baptized its converts. It baptized them uh, upon the right testimony and the right uh, experience. Uh, there is no infant baptism in the New Testament. No, uh, there were no pedo-baptists in the New Testament. We baptized only converts, not those that were born in our families, only converts. 
And so the, uh, the New Testament church is much like the local assembly that I'm part of and that you're part of. And I'm so glad that it's that way. And we ought to be loyal and faithful in supporting the church and defending the church. It's being attacked, by the way. You're, you're aware of that fact, being attacked uh, by the media, by the uh, TV uh, news, and by the newspapers. Uh, I, I have yet to see one favorable article uh, in relation to fundamentalists in the news media. And this sad thing that happened down in South America this week, uh, before it's all over, a lot of that will be laid at the feet of fundamentalists, I'll guarantee, by a naive press and by a naive uh, news uh, media uh, who don't really know what fundamentalists are, who fundamentalists are. But we'll be all surprised before it's all in. We don't get some of the blame for that. We'll be classified with that, you see. But uh, we'll defend the local church and believe in the local church and support the local church. Now, to tell you the truth, I don't have the confidence in a man's testimony I'd love to have uh, who would isolate himself from the local church. I think you ought to get right in the middle of a local church and be right there on the Amen pew and the Amen corner. Or be right there in the choir. You ought to be right there in all of his activities. Just staying right in it all the time. That's good to slip away, as the Burns did here today, and come down here with Brother Allen. I'm glad I'm here. I believe in what Sammy Allen is doing with all my heart. But uh, my first allegiance is not faith camp or any other camp. My first allegiance is Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, you see. And all that I do on the side, that's just uh, uh, because I want to do that in my heart. But my first loyalty is Tabernacle in Greenville, and so it ought to be with all of you faithful to your local church. Now, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, thou Simon of Jonah, who had just said a moment before, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a tremendous testimony. In fact, that testimony is the rock upon which the church is founded. Not Peter as a man. The idea that Peter was the first bishop is tradition, not a word of truth in it. No Bible part, no history part. The testimony that proves to be the rock upon which the church is built, is the testimony of Peter. In verse 16, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now when Peter made that testimony, our Lord said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this testimony to you. Uh, you didn't learn this altogether at your mother's feet. Uh, you didn't learn it at the feet of Gamaliel. You were not necessarily taught that by a godly father. Those can have out, of course. I'm glad that I had a godly mother and godly uh, father that taught me the ways of the Lord. But flesh and blood really didn't uh, give you this insight and this knowledge that prompted you to give the testimony in verse number 16. You don't learn it at the university. No. Uh, but uh, my Father, which is in heaven, said the Lord, gave you this testimony and gave you the faith to believe what you testified to in verse number 16. And I want to say that's the case of all of us in this building who are saved in God's grace as Lydia, the seller of purple, whose heart God opened to receive the seed of faith. So God has opened your heart and my heart. And we believe the report because God illuminated our minds and gave to us that seed of faith to believe that Jesus indeed is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I say unto thee, continue the Lord in verse 18, that thou art Peter, and upon the rock of your testimony, upon the truth contained in your testimony, and that's the foundation of the church, upon that rock, upon that truth, I will build my church. Now, Jesus said that. I take that literal, brethren. I have no reason otherwise. 
to take it any other way. I will build my church. If Jesus meant what he said, uh, that means that Baptists don't build it, and Catholics don't build it. If Jesus meant what he said, that means that evangelists don't build it, and missionaries don't build it, pastors don't build it. If Jesus meant what he said, I will build my church, he builds the church. And I agree with what Brother Sexton said a moment ago, that God adds to the church. He's the Lord of the harvest. And my, uh, my task is to carry the water and drop the seed. God gives the increase, you see. And except He give the increase, you're not going to have an increase. I will build my church, said the Lord in that uh, verse. And He went on to say, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now to me, that's a figure of speech, meaning that everything the devil might bring against it, none will avail to destroy the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the institution and the organism of the church. I can believe that, and I do believe that. There is no power in all the earth that can destroy the church. It's going to move right on triumphantly. It cannot be otherwise. It's going to move right on triumphantly. Now, a changing world, uh, an unchanging church, rather, in a changing world, a changing world, none would deny. These are peculiar days in which you and I live in. I don't buy the idea that things are no different now in evangelism. I don't buy the idea that things are no different now in our church activities and our church our preaching hours. I don't buy the idea that you can win souls as easy now as you ever could before. I don't buy that. I've heard that a statement made that it's no more difficult to win souls now than it was a hundred years ago, but I don't accept that. I just don't believe that. I haven't lived that long, but I've been preaching 40 years, and I think I've seen some change in the uh, duration of my own ministry. And so I don't accept the idea that things have not changed at all. Things have changed. We're living in a changing world, no doubt about it. Uh, for example, the world has changed a great deal in its lifestyle. Uh, we live differently. We live fastly. Never, never has a generation lived as fast and moved about as fast and as often as this, this generation does. Why, well, it hadn't been a hundred years ago when the average housewife, the average mother, would probably not get 10 or 15 miles away from home in a whole lifetime. And now we travel all over the country, not only housewives, but husbands and young people and, and preachers. We, uh, we have such means of transportation. Our lifestyle has changed. There was a time, I remember well, when uh, I, when you made a trip, you had to carry your water with you and carry your food with you. Everything you needed on that trip, only 100 miles or 200 miles, you carried it with you. There were no Hardee's on the highway and no McDonald's on the highway and no filling station at every intersection, no interstate highways to travel. It took long hours to make a trip even for 100 miles or 200 miles. I can remember that very well in my own life. Air-conditioned uh, cars, unheard of. I mean, unheard of. When I began driving an automobile, no such thing as an air-conditioned automobile. Our lifestyle has changed a great deal. Now we can go back and follow across the land, and uh, with great ease, and air-conditioned automobiles, and restaurants available, and filling stations available, and superhighways to enjoy. Our lifestyle has changed a great deal. Not only in the highway and on the outside, but our lifestyle has changed a great deal in the home. I can remember the day when there were no radios. Some of you can't remember that. But I can remember the first radios that began to appear way back in the 20s. And uh, what a novelty they were. And then some of you can remember when there were no TVs. I can remember that very well. The first TV that came around Greenville was in 1952. 
And that changed the lifestyle of a lot of people, you believe me, uh, around the Greenville area and all over the country of the television. The home life has changed. The home life has been disrupted. Uh, the meal time has been disrupted. Well, I can remember the day when Mother prepared three meals a day and the family gathered around the table. And we all sat down and Dad graced the table and we all ate at the same time. Uh, we passed the food one to another. Hardly ever have that joy. I hardly ever have that joy uh, personally anymore. I usually eat with my wife at breakfast time and don't eat with her anymore until next morning at breakfast time. She goes her way, I go my way, uh, and that's the life pattern of the average one of you in this building. Uh, we've changed a great deal, have we not? As a result of that, it's reflected in our church, reflected in our evangelism, reflected in our revival campaigns, and so on down the line. And then again, the world has changed a great deal in morals. Uh, you cannot deny that. I don't think you could successfully deny that. Uh, there's a slacking up and a loosening up of the moral standards in our day. And I admit that fact, but I don't think you could deny that fact. Uh, free love, common in our day. Uh, indecent dress, common in our day. And uh, bad language, common in our day. And loose living, uh, common in our day. Uh, unfaithfulness in business transactions and fraud and bribery, common in our day. Why, well, in the old days you didn't have all that to put up with. Men had honor, women had uh, virtue, young people had some character. But in our day we've got a generation with a little character, a little morals, a little virtue. And all of that reflects itself in the activity of our church and the labor of our church. It reflects itself in the Sunday school. Hadn't been many years ago, if a man went anywhere on the Lord's Day, used to church because there's nowhere else to go. But now you have the open movies, you have the county fair, you have all of your races, you have lakes on every river with motorboats, speedboats on Sunday. Uh, you have this or the other, you have the TV, you have a thousand things to keep you away from church in our day that you didn't have even 30 or 40 years ago. I say our lifestyle has changed. Our morals have been changed a great deal. I mean, generally speaking, uh, the public morals have changed a great deal. The ERA, who would have thought that we'd ever live to see the day when our Congress would even consider uh, the ERA? I, I, I never thought I'd live to see that. And then the, the emphasis in our day on homosexuality. Why, well, when I was a young person, I never heard that word. Never. Never heard it. I mean, it's only been in the last 10 or 15 years that that word's become prominent. And now you hear it on the newscast. I was a grown man before I knew what a lesbian was. But now you hear it oftentimes, you see. I say our morals have changed and changed greatly. We live in a changing world, no doubt about that. And then again, our religious forms have changed. Uh, the old days... Uh, Things uh, circle, uh, centered around the church. A lot of activity in the church because there was nowhere else that folk could be uh, engaged, you see. Revival time came, uh, everybody went to church. Uh, I can remember when I first began preaching two-week revival meetings. You hardly ever hear that anymore. But I've held a many a two-week meeting. Start on Monday night and run through the next Sunday and then through the next in one location. And have crowds of people fill the church up every night. And people at the altar most every night. It's been a long time since I, I've held a two-week meeting. I guess it's been 15 years, since, or 20 maybe, since I've held a two-week revival meeting. Those things are gone. They're a thing of the past. 
We've changed our methods in our religious forms as well. Uh, never has the church been so well off as far as equipment is concerned. And that ought to be to our advantage, and I think it is to our advantage, but in some cases I think maybe it might be to our disadvantage to be so well equipped, so comfortable in Zion we are. With air-conditioned buildings, padded pews, and everything in the world you can think of, educational plant, nurseries, departmentalized Sunday school, we've got everything. Workers, when I began preaching, no pastor had a secretary. I don't have a secretary, I never had a secretary in my life, don't have one yet, by the way. But I have staff members, many staff members there in the church uh, that do uh, work while I'm away and do work even while I'm there, of course. But who would have thought of that? In the uh, uh, first five years I pastored Tabernacle, didn't even have a telephone in the church. Nobody on the staff but me. Oh, what bliss that was. I, I wish I'd call it back now, you know. But it's changed a great deal since then. And not only Tabernacle, but your church has changed a great deal also. Our religious forms have changed us. And uh, it, it ought to be to our advantage. I pray that it's to our advantage. But it could be uh, that we'll lean upon our ability. We'll lean upon our organization ability. We'll lean upon our leadership. We'll depend upon our administrative ability. And if it comes to that, then it's a curse. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And if Baptist said we get away from that, we are going to, in spite of our air-conditioned buildings, you see. Our religious forms have changed a great deal. And then one of the greatest changes in the, changes in the world is materialism. Uh, people have so much of so many things. This is Thanksgiving week. And I hope while you're here on the campgrounds, you will not uh, be unmindful of the goodness of God in material things. Uh, we ought to be ashamed to ask God for anything. He's so abundant and given us things. This week ought to be spent in thanksgiving what God's given. And the average one of us has so much of so many things. And that could be a blessing, but sometimes it's not. We have more money than we've ever had before. The average one of you are making a larger salary than you've ever made. The average one of you have more in savings than you've ever had. And the average one of you are living a nicer home than you ever thought in your life that you'd ever live in. That's so with me, and I don't live in a mansion. But if you could send, I seen the house I was born in, brother, brother, uh, preached a while ago about the house he was born in, brother Rapp. I wish you could take a look at the one I was born in down in the swamps of South Carolina. Three run, through, uh, room shotgun house that I was born in 64 years ago. But we've come a long way, haven't we? Carpet houses, air-conditioned houses, uh, everything you can think of in the kitchen, the refrigerator, all kinds of gadgets and TVs and radios and everything in the world you can want, you've got it. Materialism. Uh, that will drive you to your knees to thank God and praise God, but sometimes it draws people away. I passed uh, a lot where they were selling uh, boats one day with one of the deacons riding with me in the car. And when I saw that whole yard full of boats, I, as we drove by, I said, Hallelujah, praise God that I don't have a boat. And the deacon was a little bit startled with that. I said, wouldn't it be awful to have a boat? If I had a boat, I'd have to cut up the front yard with it. If I had a boat, I'd have to take it to the lake and then drag it up and drag it out and drag it back home. If I had a boat, I'd have to clean it up and keep it all. If I had a boat, I'd have to have a gasoline can around. That's dangerous. 
That a boat I'd have to mess my car with the hitch on the back of it. That a boat would take too much of my time. I said, hallelujah, I don't have a boat. Praise yeah. God. But I yet don't have one. I have no desire for one. But people have so much of things in these days that really you don't need. Materialism can draw people away from God. I'll guarantee you in your church and in mine last Lord's Day, there was somebody on the lake. Or somebody in an automobile race. We've got so much. Materialism. Money we've got. Position we've got. Power we've got. The church come a long way. The world's changed a great deal. The world has changed a great deal. And in these areas. And there's going to be other changes. I think the world changed a great deal in politics. I think the world changed a great deal uh, in social work. We've never been so subjected to a, a takeover by the government of all social activity. I mean, now they, they are threatening to take your children. Somebody placed a bullet on my wife's automobile, uh, just a circle that was put on all the automobiles in the parking lot as she brought uh, one to me. And I read, and it said, if you know any child in your area that you think to be abused, or that you think to be neglected, or you think needs attention, you call this number, your name will be kept in secret. That comes from the Department of Social Services. And they're trying to pounce on your home. I had two different families in my congregation hailed in because some busybody called that number and reported that two of my families were abusing their children when there wasn't a thing in the world they were doing but laying the last where they ought to be laid. Discipline what they were doing. I resent that. That's an awful thing that our government's done. We've changed a great deal. And you, you, you better watch out. When you're chasing your child, you better pull the curtains. And shut the doors lest some busybody neighbor call that number. And the tragedy is they can come to your house and threaten to take your child and refuse to tell you who reported you. And you won't even be able to face the one that charged you. That's as unfair and as un-American as anything in the world can be. The world changed a great deal. I mean changed a great deal. And now they're trying to license churches to operate their... Uh, their day schools. We've been uh, uh, been breathing out our next tabernacle for two years now in relation to the children's home. They said uh, you have to be licensed. We say no, we don't. We uh, that's an intrusion. This is the local church. The state has no right to license anything the local church is engaged in. They said yes, we do have a right. You're going to have to be licensed. And we said no. We've been resisting for two years. What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't know. But I read an article the other day uh, along that line about licensing, and one man uh, asked one of the experts of the Department of Welfare, H.E.W. in Washington, uh, about the potential of the government licensing our Sunday schools. And he asked the man, point blank, do you feel the government has a right to license Sunday schools? And that man answered, yes, sir, we've got a right to license Sunday schools. And he said, the reason is because Sunday school is not church. That's the thinking that's coming out of Washington. Sunday school is not church. And that same expert said, you know what they do in Baptist churches and other churches? Why, he said, the family comes to church, 
and to take the little children away from mom and daddy immediately and carry them back in a, a great large building, a little small room, and put them in a room with an adult. And that, in, that adult tells them that they're going to a, a place called hell that burns with fire and forever and ever and ever. If you don't become like we are and become part of us, then you're going to that hell. And that H.E.W. worker said, we're going to stop that. That's what Washington's working toward. Now, in the first place, we don't do that. We teach the whole counsel of God in those little rooms. I do not know of one church anywhere that takes children apart and harasses the children on the doctrine of hell. Of course, we believe in hell, but we teach Calvary. We teach grace. We teach love. We teach mercy, as Brother Rapp preached a while ago. But that crowd of Washington had an idea that we lash these little children with the doctrine of hell until we twist their personalities and compel them to become Baptists whether they want to or not. And they said, we're going to license Sunday school. They even now question whether youth activity is church activity. They have an idea that church is a letter talk on Sunday morning with a robe priest and a prayer book and a chanting choir that lasts about 15 minutes, and then you go home, and that's all church is. Well, that wouldn't fit a tabernacle, not by any means. And we, we, we're facing a change, a lot of changes from Washington uh, in social activity and politics and so on down the line. This is a changing world! No doubt about that. Now, that fact I don't think any would deny, though I have heard it denied, an un- a changing world, but I submit we have an unchanging church in a, in a changing world. An unchanging church in a changing world. Now, in what ways is the church unchanging? God have mercy if we become relevant. Twenty-five years ago, among Baptists, there was a, a terminology that I just used. Relevant say. Everybody was saying relevant say. And by the way, brethren, you quit saying sheer. Don't say sheer anymore. I hear these Pentecostals say, I share this and I share that, and I share this song and I share this song and I share this dream. You, just, you Baptists, quit saying that word, will you? Just let them have it. You don't have to say it. Don't be like these Pentecostals. I hear Baptist preachers get up and say, I share this with you, share the other. You stop doing that. Let the Pentecostals have that. Don't be identified with these Pentecostals. Stay as far away from them as you can. You don't need their terminology in the beginning. No, you don't need that. But the church is unchangeable in some very definite ways that I want to point out to you. Number one, the church is unchangeable in its foundation. It shall always be founded upon truth. And the body of truth is this precious book that I have in my hand, a King James translation. And this is the body of truth in which the church is founded. And it'll never be otherwise. Now, there are powers to be, there are personalities to be in the religious life of our day and the church of our day that would change this. There was an article in the Greenville paper this week. In fact, they were having a seminar in Greenville this week by some of these that were translating what they call this uh, new Bible, new English version of the Bible. They had a seminar in Greenville about it this week, a long article in the newspaper about it. And the only argument they had against the King James was the fact that it had these and thou's and a few old English words. I have no trouble with thee or thou. I have no trouble with fetch or let. 
I have no trouble with Anon, a straight way. The average one of you can understand that clearly. And the idea that we need a new Bible because the King James uses these and thou's, that's ridiculous. Our foundation remains the same. And I mentioned the word relevant a while ago, a few, a few years back. Uh, they were talking about making the gospel relevant. Church is relevant. We've got to compete. They tried to tell us 25 years ago. We've got to compete. We've got to have youth activities. We've got to have this or the other. A few years ago, among Southern Baptists, when I was Southern Baptist, praise the Lord, I've been independent 27 years. Hallelujah. I'll never be anything but. But they said then, we've got to have youth pastors in the First Baptist churches. And all over the South, First Baptist churches began to call in 35-year-old pastors. That didn't work. That's over now. I'm so glad they got their eyes open to the folly of that. No, the church is never called to be relevant. The folly of relevancy will blind and doom and ruin a church. You say, well, we're not reaching the youth. Or we're not reaching this segment of the society. Well, I can't find in the Bible where we are commanded to reach any particular segment. Not even the youth. We're commanding the Scriptures to preach the Gospel. And if we can reach young people in the process, amen. If we don't, amen. Right? I'm not to streamline a tabernacle just to reach young people. And I'm not to streamline tabernacle to reach intellectual people. I'm not to streamline tabernacle to reach wealthy people. In fact, I'm not to streamline, period. My foundation is the same. My doctrine is the same. The truth is unchanged. And God forbid that I change or disturb the foundation that's laid down. I want everybody that knows me to know that I'm a fundamentalist. I believe the Bible, all the Bible, every miracle in it. You say, well, you'll knock the intellectuals out. Uh, that's uh, beyond my control. I have no power about that. But young people won't come to hear you preach. If you preach the old-fashioned doctrines, they'll pass you by. That's not mine to be concerned about. It's mine to preach the whole counsel of God. Right. Right. I say the church is unchanged at its foundation. We build upon this book. We build upon truth. And the moment you begin to streamline your church to appeal to any one particular group, you're going to. You better appeal to God to stay close to God. Then again, the church is unchangeable and unchanging in its formation. I don't think the church is an accident. I believe the church is in this earth in godly design and godly decree. I don't believe the church is an afterthought or salvage program. Some people give the idea that when the Jews rejected Jesus and crucified the Prince of Glory, until when they did that, uh, then God picked up the broken pieces and made a second best, the salvage program that he called the church. I don't accept that. To me, the church is as precious in God's eyes as the nation of Israel. The church is not only precious, 
but it is as much for me as the nation of Israel. From the foundation of the world, God planned this organism that we are part of. Before God ever plumbed the stars from his fingertips, he planned the church. And I'd like to say to you, the church don't schedule. We're not a day early nor a day late. We're on schedule. The church today is exactly where God planned it be on November the 21st, 1978. We're not a day ahead nor a day late. Not a day. Somebody said one time Spurgeon was melancholy. And one of his deacons said, Sir, why are you melancholy? Why do you seem to be cast down? And he said, You know, Spurgeon answered, You know, I've been trying my best to get God to move and get, get God in a hurry, but I can't get God in a hurry to save my life. And that's the way it is. God moves in His own way and His own time. Church defeated? Never. It remains unchanged in foreordination. God foreordained the church from the foundation of the world and planned it just like it is. And He has some other plans yet ahead. That'll never be set aside, could never be set aside. They're bound to be materialized. They're bound to come to reality. The church is unchanged in its foundation. God has not changed his plan one bit or changed his mind one bit. You say, well, maybe God will change, change his strategy. That's what some men say. Change our strategy, change our methods and become relevant. That's what some men say. But I don't think God's ever said that. Do you imagine that God ever says, Peter, I, want, I need to talk to you. We started a good thing down there at Pentecost and got 3,000 Jews saved and baptized. But Peter, something went wrong. Now, I just can't quite understand what went wrong. We need to have a seminar and see if we can find out what happened. No, no, my soul. God doesn't have to do that. God knows. I say that which has happened has been exactly what God planned. The church is exactly what God would have it be. Oh, the preacher, how can you say that? The world remains unconverted. Well, where in the Bible does the Bible command us to win the world? You're not going to win the world. Now, I'm not going to win the world. But I tell you what the church is doing faithfully. We're witnessing to the world. That's what God commands. The church remains unchanged in its foundation, unchanged in its foreordination, unchanged in its organization. Until this day, the offices of a church are pastor and deacon. And brethren, that's it. There's no such thing as association of missionary in the Bible. There's no such thing as a bishop in the Bible. There's no such thing as a pope in the Bible. There's no such thing as a state secretary in the Bible. No, sir. The head of that local church where you are a pastor of is that pastor. Where you are a member of is that pastor. He's the overseer of the flock. And the deacons are his helpers. And that's the only two offices a local church has. Pastor and deacons. That's it. And it remains unchanged. Oh, man's changed it. We've got a lot of things these days. Somebody said to me, Preacher, you need a business manager at Tabernacle. And I said, you're looking at him. Right? 
you're a dictator. No, I'm not a dictator. But that's just the way God ordains it, you see. The pastor's overseer. The pastor's overseer. Amen. Uh, and God's never changed his organization. It's still a local church. Simple, autonomous group. Very, very loosely organized. Very uh, knit together in a bond of love. Rather than a coercion of harassment and intimidation. Oh, yes. The church is unchanged in its organization. And then again, the church is unchanged in its declaration. Our one message yet remains Christ crucified for the world. I've never found it in my heart trying to preach politics. I just can't get excited about politics. I've never found it in my heart to preach social change and civil rights and liberties. I've never found it in my heart to do that. I just can't get excited about that. I question whether that's the will of God for the pastor. I believe the pastor's duty is to take that book chapter by chapter, line by line, precept upon precept, and break the bread of life. And this is the bread of life. And feed the flock. Oh, which God has made us overseer. The church remains unchanged in its declaration. And the moment a pastor begins to go down other channels, as far as I'm concerned, that's the death knell of that church. It can never be prospered until the pastor stays with the gospel, stays with the gospel, stays with the word of God. I question the wisdom of preaching on current events. I question that. But stay with Calvary. Stay with Calvary. Let the world, let the news media take care of that. You stay with Calvary. Stay with the simple gospel. The church remains unchanged in its declaration. Our one message is Christ crucified. God forbid that it be more or less than that. Christ died for our sins. Take your whole lifetime to tell that and you'll never get it told. Then again, the church is unchanged in its destination. God has not only brought it to where it is, but He's going to lead it to where He planned it goes. The church is predestined of God. I say the body of Christ is predestined of God. Now, predestined that thing we'll do with the unsaved. Nothing. Predestination belongs to me and you children. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I don't buy the five points of Calvinism that some are predestined to hell or predestined to heaven. No. Predestination belongs to the church. And the church is predestined. Once you get in it, then predestination begins to operate. And from the moment you get baptized of the Spirit into the body of Christ until you wind up exactly like Jesus, that's how long predestination is over. So the church remains unchanged. It is predestination. It'll never change. But God starts. He's going to finish. He knows how. Too many dangerous calls and snares we've already come. And His grace that has brought us safe thus far. And that grace will keep on leading us until we arrive at destination. Until predestination has its fruit. 
the church remains unchanged. Somebody said, Preacher, don't you think the communists might destroy the church? Don't be naive. Jesus said the gates of hell not stop it. So don't you think modernism will destroy it? Don't be naive. Every time one preacher becomes a modernist, God will save some of you boys and fill them up with the Holy Spirit. You're not going to dampen this thing. Has it occurred to you that there are 10,000 young preachers in America right now studying for the ministry? What an army. 10,000. When I was in school, we had about 100 boys in that school. Far as I know, there wasn't another 100 and 1,000 miles. Or 500 miles anyway. But think of the preachers that are studying for the ministry. We've never had it since Pentecost like we've got it now. It's going to work out. God's going to work it out. You're not going to stop the church. No need to try. It's going to move on. It's triumphant, you see. Never has the church been so strong in our mission outreach as it is right now. We have more missionaries on the field now than since Pentecost at any other time. The church is unchanged in its predestination. God still sits upon the throne. He still directs and guides. He still brings to pass that which the human arm cannot bring to pass. And again, the church is unchanged in its conservation. We're headed, we're headed with a complete body. Conservation. We're headed with a complete body to heaven. Not one part of that body will be missing. Not that much of that body will be missing. That body of Christ is foreknown in God's mind. And God only knows who that last soul will be that will believe in the Lord Jesus. There will be some people saved after the church is finished, by the way. You know that. There will be folks saved in the tribulation. There will be folks saved in the millennium. But one day, I'm talking about the church, one day, that last one to finish the bride, the body, will get saved. And I believe that one will close the door and pull the door closed after he comes in. I don't think God will wait till we can get into the creek to baptize him. I believe right then the rapture will take place. The church remains unchanged. We are not an earthly people. We are a heavenly people. And we're marching to Zion just as surely as you live. We're marching to Zion. But then again, the church remains unchanged in its glorification. In Ephesians 5, we're told that one day the church will be without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. When God gets finished up with the body, the church... I'm not talking about the Old Testament saints. I'm not talking about the tribulation saints or the millennial saints. I'm talking about the church. When that church is finished, it's going to be without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. And that church is me and you, Gentile dogs. We're a bunch of nobodies. Yet we've been saved by the grace of God. And one day we're going to be presented faultless to the eternal bridegroom. I can well imagine that someday when we all get to heaven, God shall say to the church, I want you to come over here now and stand with me. And he's going to carry us to a spot in heaven where angels have never enjoyed. And he's going to put us on exposition. Without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. And he gets us all decorated out 
He's going to say, Oh, devil, come on by now. Just come on by. And take a peep at the token of God's grace. And the old devil has to come by and see what grace wrought. And grace has wrought. And grace does wrought. And grace has We're headed for a glorified position someday in heaven. And that remains unchanged. In spite of all the world and everything that may be to our disadvantage, there are certain basic things in God's economy that will never change. And I'm so glad I found that out. And I don't worry about the church. It's in good hands. It's in the hands of the great eternal Son of God who is the head of the church and who appears at God's right hand in behalf of every part of that body. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this good hour together with these who love you. And thank you for thy word and thank you for your church. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.